0: One, two, three...
1: Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that brings together music and memory and storytelling to intimately connect you with our guests. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Michael Pinckney. Michael's a multimedia artist who was born in Brooklyn, New York, during a pivotal era for the culture of the area. His bio says music was powerful and he felt the magnitude and that New York City became his landscape for expression as a youth. Michael relocated to Chicago in the late 80s, which proved to change his life forever, being exposed to and participating in the city's independent music scene, performing with musical outfits such as Gypsy's Ritual and Anatomic. As the new millennium approached, he began to search for new ways to approach his unique delivery of music production and performance. He is the creator of Plexi Media, through which he works in several mediums, including, but not limited to, music, fashion, visual art, film, and installation. His current musical venture is Singular Fashion, which recently released its second full-length album called Vagabond Blasphemy. Michael came to us via episode 142 guest Desiree Molina from the Alliance for the Arts, and she promised he'd be a lot of fun, so now it's time to put that to the test. Hey there, Michael. How you doing? How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing very well. Thank you for doing this on such short notice. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. What was the
0: musical background of your uh, childhood there in Brooklyn? Oh man. It um well, it depends on how early you want to start. Apparently, my 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 mom said to me that when Getaway came out with Earth Within Fire in 1976, I I went berserk. You would have been a little kid then, right? I was one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that was I guess that was pretty much the indication that music was my thing. Um but later on there was a there was a pivotal moment that really, really shaped me, and that was uh due to my babysitter's daughter, um, by the name of Claudette. Her mom is named Gloria. It's like almost like a second grandma to me because she babysat me, but um, Claudette worked uh, for CBS Records at the time. She had just left, from what I remember, working with um, Jackie Mason, and then she ended up working with CBS. So I didn't know what her job was, but she definitely took care of the kids. Yeah. Um, so there was uh, there was one Christmas where, you know, she was very generous, and she gave me a box of promo records. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, she was always helpful with all the kids that her mom babysat. She was very pointed in what that kid, what she thought that kid would like. Me, I got uh, Animal drum set from the Dr. 2 drum set from Animal, okay. which I broke in a week. <laughs> but, I also, <laughs> but I also got this box of promo records, and there was a lot of great records in there. There was the Silencers. There was a couple of other bands that probably didn't see the light of day like those bands, like Cheap Trick, I like the Cheap Trick album as well, um, all shook up, but there was one in particular that just, it struck me. Um, and the juxtaposition of this is gonna crack you up. Um, so I was, and I remember this vividly, I was flipping through this box, and all of a sudden I see this this guy with long hair on, the, on a wood floor, and a robe, white, red and black, and he's reaching back like this, and there's always, and I'm looking at this record, and I'm looking at this thing, and I flip it around, and I start looking at the credits, and I'm like, let me put this thing on. Let me try it, right? Mm-hmm. So I've already heard like Hendrix and Zeppelin and stuff from my brothers and Queen. So. You kind of rolled your eyes at Queen a little bit. Well, no. <laughs> well, because I have a memory there of my brothers rolling stuff on there anyway. But it, anyhow, um, <laughs> so I put this record on, and then I hear the gongs, and I'm like, All right. Then I hear that first riff. And I was like, whoa. So from that moment, I was completely obsessed with both Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes, And it was just like, all right. I saw the KISS episode on 321 Contact, and I saw how KISS made their stage, and I was already there. But when I heard that record, it was just over. It was just over. Like, I loved all the music that was coming through my household. Obviously, the beginnings of hip hop, Motown, Calypso, Soka, Reggae, all that stuff was, was flowing through the house. But that, that particular record was the one. So, mind you, across the street from where I grew up on Chauncey Street in Brooklyn, bedford Stuyvesant, I went to a Catholic school. So, uh, it's kindergarten. It's probably the second semester of kindergarten, <laughs> <laughs> right? And there's uh, a <laughs> show-and-tell. Right. So, I like where this is going. Oh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> so what do I do? I bring that record to play for Mrs. King and Mrs. Cofield. And they, they didn't play it. <laughs> of course not. But they uh, actually had a conversation with my, with my mother. Um, like, why is this kid bringing this crazy music, double music, to our school? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
1: Um, what were your parents playing like around? You you kind of sk- skipped through some different genres.
0: Uh, is that coming from them? Yeah. I mean, my brother, my oldest brother, um, was a musician as well in New York in the late 70s. He was playing drums as well. So, you know, I was just getting a little bit of everything. You know, the electric funk stuff, you know, some of the stuff that Mick Murphy was doing before the system. That that kind of I just got everything, you know. Drums first instrument. Uh, mine. Yeah. Um, no. Um, no. Guitar. Okay. Guitar. And then, and then later on, like I I went back to drums just because of necessity, um, needing to play drums, not looking for drummers and stuff like that. Uh, what was what was your first guitar? Uh, my first guitar was a it was an acoustic. I think it was like a court, but my first electric guitar was from Sam Ash yeah in queens it's called a sammy how old were you
1: then 12. did you take right to guitar did that something was that something that you was easy enough for you to get into oh, i'm sorry say, repeat the question again well just some people try for three months and then say it's too hard and give up did you have to work through that or was it immediately something you could
0: you know it was do? it was something that i i definitely understood because i i went subtractively with it i I took all the strings off and started with one. Really, so just to understand the physicalities and the mechanics of how it worked, and then I started working with chords. Huh. So but then I have, then I had a. If I'm jumping too much, let me know. But I can refer to it. Like after I got that guitar, um, I I ended up. Out of Catholic school out of out of circumstances and had to go to a magnet school my last year in New York before I moved to Chicago what, so what kind of school magnet school oh magnet yeah like for you know art 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 students pre like you know if you want to go to performance arts high school they had zoned zoned schools in New York to where when you when you want to choose your high school you have to take a test the pressures on in eighth grade hmm. <laughs> or yeah so I was I was poised to go to Laguardia Performing Arts School, but I ended up moving to Chicago, which we'll get into later. Um, but my my health my health teacher, Mr. Fred Cummins, was the guy that really pushed me. He had a, he had a gospel group called Fabulous, and I wanted to play drums, but I wasn't that good at the time. So he stuck me on guitar, and that's where it where it stuck. So when you went to the arts school, was it was guitar your focus? Yeah, yeah i was I was in seventh seventh grade, so first song you wrote oh wow hm that's an interesting question um that the first song I wrote would probably be more in towards a high school era okay. Which, when we go into the songs, well, I can totally, I can totally break that down for sure. If that helps.
1: Yes, we can do that. Um, so you got those records that your babysitter's daughter gave you. Yeah. Um, besides those, what was the first music that you owned that first, you, you know, chose to select to purchase myself? Yeah,
0: uh-huh. Like going to the village on a Saturday and getting right. records at ten years old. Like, um, I don't know, I. I would buy Hendrix, I'd buy any of the stuff that was coming currently in the 80s. I mean like all the cheesy stuff like Cover Girls, Sheila E. I was I had my hands in everything. Like I I was watching all the video shows, so I watched the charts but I also liked the weird stuff too. First show you got to see. Ooh. First actual like loud show mm-hmm. or Okay. First like like actual Concert that I can actually recollect was probably Steve Winwood at okay at Summerfest in Milwaukee. How, Milwaukee, yeah. How, how old would you have been there? I was. How did we get to Milwaukee? I was
2: thirteen.
0: <laughs> I moved. Okay, so I know I, I'm jumpy, man. I'm sorry. Like, no, at, at, at bring the, it. Okay, the summer. Okay, so the summer. This is this is gonna get kind of heavy, but the summer of 1988, um, I was going on 12 to 13, and that was like. In Bedford-Stuyvesant, that was probably one of the toughest time periods ever in that neighborhood due to the crack emide- epidemic. I lived it. And um, I often feel guilty about that because I felt like if I would have been a different person if I stayed or I might have been a different person if I didn't stay, I-, I have that weird crossroads going on. But I was very fortunate because it changed my life. Um, so getting back to that um, – where were we again heading heading to Milwaukee heading to Milwaukee so my brother my brother decided after I was in public school that one year after being in Catholic school from 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 K to six he was like this area is getting bad and I don't want my little brother to go through that so basically because tuition was gone I went to a public school that one year alone could have if I stayed another year, my life probably would have been completely, completely different. Just a simple uh, thing of not having to wear a uniform to school anymore and having to p- compete with kids with your fashion, get your sneakers stolen. Walking to school with a guitar instead of a boombox, like, mm-hmm. you're kind of a target. But, so my brother got me out um, that summer and moved me to Naperville, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago.
1: Understood, which is right up the road from Milwaukee.
0: Yes, yeah. (laughs) So I went from basically living in the projects to moving to suburbia. Yeah. It was just like, it was complete shock, complete shock. But my neighborhood at that time, like, it was like Haley's Comet if you saw a white person walking through it. But if you go to it now, it's Completely blended. Huh. So, like, in reverse, I, I helped to diversify a suburban area through music and some of my friends that we had. And then later on, that culture, my, the culture I came from gave people curiosity enough to go and go, uh, hey, let's check out Brooklyn, even though we might be a target. But, like, I actually got to witness that, you know? Right. Um. So... That's how I got to Chicago. Understood. And then the fir- and Steve Winwood. Yeah, yeah. Milwaukee. <laughs> we're in a Yankees hat amongst a bunch of Brewers. <laughs> uh, Being from
3: Brooklyn, did you? What did you think about those suburban kids?
0: Oh man, I played it up. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I played it up, man. Like, the I went to I went to a high I went to a junior high, and it was just like. People would just assume that, oh, you were, were you in a gang, and I'm like, no, and they just kept asking. So I just like, as like, in hindsight, as a, as a form of protection, I just kind of went with it. Yeah, you know, because I. But at the same time, it was like the misfits. It didn't matter what color they were. I found the misfits, hmm. so that was cool. I mean, we had Indian friends, we had Irish kids, we had Polish kids, we had another couple of other, you know brothers and sisters or whatever you want to say right but we had this group of misfits and it was just like that's what we that's who we all levitated towards and it and it ended up leaking through high school and through life up until this day so i feel very fortunate
1: well we're misfits in here so we all fit pretty good (laughs)
0: all right Well, well all right well good okay uh time for your first song
1: all right what is it um, you want to tell the story first? Do you want to listen to it first? Um,
0: for this one, I want to listen to it first. Okay. Um, and I want to go with um, I Am One by Smashing Pumpkins off the Gish album. This is I Am One by the Smashing Pumpkins from their 1992 album, Gish. So where's that taking you? After 6-3 detention, first period math class with my buddy Aaron Miller, my best friend, to this day. Um, we sitting in math class, giggling after sixth period detention, and he has a Walkman. And at this time, we're you know we're into James, we're into fishbone, suicidal tendencies, metal and goth, but like not the not that whole seamless thing of grunge really really hit yet. So you know we were all in a, into our own influences. He was a big Rush and Zeppelin guy. I was a big Hendrix guy emulating that, you know, in your, in your developmental stages. So we're still, you know, toying around with songwriting, but there was just something about hearing that first thing that Jimmy Chamberlain did, and my friend handed it to me after he'd already heard it. He's already trying to replicate the, the fill. I heard it, and then I heard what Billy was doing on the guitar, and it was just like, for me it encapsulated the idea of taking what hendrix and that generation were doing and bringing it to that time and it wasn't so much that we were trying to emulate them it just opened the gates of saying all right you're part of that whole that whole genome of of things so it freed me up to say all right let's try some stuff now so that's that's kind of where I wanted to go with that, but later on, developing as we started developing ourselves, we we kind of jumped into that scene as teenagers in the early '90s, right when you know Mother Love Bone had kind of dwindled. There was a lot of a lot of bands from Chicago that were kind of metal, but they were hair bands, but they were still going goth. So there was a lot going on, and I felt like. I felt like at that time and a lot of, some people may disagree with me but the fact that Pumpkins went to England and made it first and came back something about that record um initially opened up the floodgates for me as far as what was going on in Chicago and what to look forward to so we were all from that scene where I came from um beyond my 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 friend and myself Aaron um there is just this huge like convergence of suburban kids that went to the city, and there was just like this circuit board of different tiers that we all came from i mean local age uh Urge, Kill, fig dish, ferruuca salt like we were the little shits behind them mm-hmm. and it it literally it really showed where we hung out like at that time, like anywhere from ninety one to to two thousand and three, there was just with the Bulls winning and just you name it, it happened. Right. So it's it's a very, very memorable moment for me and it's it's uh one I hold on to because it's it's wealth it's wealth that you can't take away. Right. Or lose. So um moving forward with that, my, my best friend Aaron, um he may get mad, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, and we we had we had a moment in Miami um, probably about seven years ago when uh, after a phone call of him uh, being in LA saying all right hey you will never believe who I'm going on tour with uh, please don't don't get mad Aaron so I go I go who are you going on tour with and he, he goes he paused for a little bit because his parents both are in the ministry hmm. um, in separate separate situations he goes. Goes Kanye West. Hmm. So I go, "What are you doing, playing drums with him?" It's just like, you know, he's gotten calls to play with a bunch of people, you know, out in L.A. session stuff whatever live stuff. And he goes, "No." And I remember just dropping the phone and laughing my ass off. Well, that same kid that we heard this music and did our thing, you know, together and separately because we, you know, we grow and we had to do our thing. We we're always we brothers. Still to this day, Jesus. He was the kid that played Jesus during the Jesus tour. Wow. Wow. So we get to hang out in Miami and chuckle about all this because it's just all this crazy shit going Mm -hmm. on amongst us. All the blasphemous stuff of him being, you know. But it's like it was just a great memory for us, you know, being adults now. To be able to drive around Miami and know that, like, hey, yeah. Take it or leave it. Love Kanye, you don't like Kanye. Me and you are doing this. Yeah. You know? So that's kinda that's kinda where that goes. If that if that will fill the gap for the whole I am one situation. So is just, is <laughs> it
4: the same friend that you were in detention with? Yeah. So what did you get in detention for?
0: I don't even know. Probably <laughs> just like uh, maybe smoking uh, smoking out by the tree too long there's a there was a smoking tree that we had or probably too many tardies or something like that
4: blaring I am one
0: well it was we, we got it later I got it later so <laughs> but it was some it was something silly it wasn't anything serious
4: did Jimmy Chamberlain influence you as a drummer I mean his drumming is pretty epic
0: I do like he's on my list for sure yeah he's definitely on my list but um I would say uh there's I'm really a guitar player. I would never call myself a studious drummer. I just do it out of necessity mm. but I have my I have my go-tos. let's just say that. He's definitely one. um how many bands have you been in or what was your first band? Oh uh, first band uh <laughs> was actually a tribute. It was a tribute band. It was a Hendrix tribute band. Nice. Called called Gypsy Blue. And we would we would play at this place called The Cellar in Warrenville. And then my other friends, they they were kind of they were more like Zeppelin kind of uh you know, Jane's addiction. So we were all like teenagers, thirteen, fourteen years old. We were still trying to figure ourselves out. Um so then pardon me. My second situation was where it was more developed. It was called Gypsy's Ritual, and that was with my buddy and I. Um, And we just got to—we just did crazy, crazy, amazing things as teenagers right behind that whole scene that was happening right there, which when we got old enough, we all had a shoe in Like, we were just there. So it was like we were getting in the clubs at 19 years old, checking out shows, you know. For at the Metro, China Club, the Vic, you know, all those places. I don't know if you're familiar with all the clubs in Chicago, but shout out to Joe Shanahan, by the way. Um, so it was... It, ah, I'm going to pause for a sec because I want to get my thoughts together. It's if, Let's just put it this way. if If things went well and the typical pattern of where I grew up didn't happen. I probably would have ended up in the village and hanging out with that scene that was happening at the time. So that was my equivalent to that in Chicago.
1: Hmm. Uh, first gig you played.
0: First gig. That
1: wasn't like an open mic, but something.
0: Maybe the first one you got paid for. The first one <laughs> I got paid for. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, that would be the Gateway Theater. Um, the Gateway Theater. They had these two guys. It was probably, at one point, it was probably, probably, like, predatory in a way. But they would they would give us tickets. And then they'd make us go sell tickets.
4: Oh, yeah.
0: Like, almost well, kind of like a pay-to-play. Earn your keep. Yeah. Yep. But we'd have to sell our tickets first. And then that's what we would, we would, we would hand in our ticket money. And then they would give us back what we thought, what they thought we made. Um, then that was just in advance. But then there was also the... The door draw. Right. So that that was like at like, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. Hmm. Playing with like Screeching Weasel, Apocalypse Hope Oaken, Smoking Pulps, Blue Meanies. Um never 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 got to play with Green Day, but Green Day was lurking around at that time. Um pre Dookie. Yeah,
4: yeah, that's and, a lot of wow. a lot of big names there.
0: Yeah. So it was just—it was one of those situations where I felt sometimes were like I was in a like on a, like the the enzyme of a bubble mm. kind of doing this where I was in but not totally in. Right. Um, so, as far as as far as like what was going on at that time, like eyes were on Chicago, so there was a bunch of labels just like signing bands like left and right, you know, giving out giving out development deals, and then. I would honestly say that witnessing it was enough for me to go. <laughs> let me just, just keep an eye on this, keep this as knowledge. But I went to Europe in the late '90s, and that that changed my perspective on a lot of different things. And I went there um, just with the intent of checking it out. And I was working on my my second project after Gypsy's Ritual, which is Anatomic. Um, which was really a duo, but we we kind of worked as more of a, as a production team and got it done. Mm-hmm. But we got the interest of a couple of French labels. Off of it. Really? Yeah, and their their goal was to try to get us to England because we weren't French speaking. Right. So, but we had we it was interesting. I walked in, I, I got a book from FNAC, and I I made some phone calls and I had appointments. Wow. Um, and then nine eleven happened, so that kind of like kind of
1: right about that right during that time. Yeah,
0: right around the change of when the euro the euro was being implemented and everything. So there was a lot of talks and a lot of, you know, ideas and points and point systems of how we we're going to work it out, but it just didn't happen. But it was still it was still a great experience and it kind of just um gave me the the gumption to to say, "Hey, learn this business, learn everything you can about it." Even as a performer, even as a producer, or working as production, learn everything about it because one day you're gonna have to you're gonna have to wear a lot of hats. So that was the start of that.
1: And luckily, like the you know uh, because of technology, yeah, it's a lot easier to wear a lot of hats now. Like yes, if, you, if you've got the skills, it's not like you have to have a whole bunch of different things. Right. I mean, it's just everything's more accessible. I think. Right. Right. Which is nice for being a producer. Yes. Hmm. Um, it's time for your second song.
0: Okay. Um let's go with um let's go with chasing a bee okay um and i will i'll i'd like to tell the story first sure um because it ties into the first one in a weird way well senior year we're in we're in aaron's Escort station wagon, and we're on our way to. It's a bunch what of us. What color I don't know was it? why It's white. White. It's I, white. I, I station wagon in, in the 90s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? have
1: the automatic seat belt that would if you turn? I have mine, the one that like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the choker.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it did in the front. <laughs>
4: Everyone's friend had that for yeah. real.
0: Yeah. So so we're out. We're on our way. This is like our senior trip. We already had our senior ditch day, like the one they did in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That was a real tradition right go to the cubs game just to take the train down but we were we were already done graduated and we're we're doing our great america trip which are which is the six flags up in wisconsin right and um, I'm sitting. I'm sitting to the. I'm sitting to the to the right of my friend Lee Fulton, who was an avid, avid deadhead. I mean, he it missed my boy, you know. But you need to change a shirt every night Wait, now. wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Wait, wait, you, wait. Say,
3: you you mean he's now, or even in high school? Oh, oh, well, no. no, in
0: high school. But I'm sure he's he's make, he makes guitars right now. He from what all, I know, he was already a dead. He was already no, school. no. You don't even know. Like <laughs> came out of the womb, dude. Um, so so tie dye on. Yeah, so. I love you, Lee. <laughs> um, so he he says, You got to check this out. Like, you got to hear this song. It's really weird, but it's really cool. And it's kind of like Jethro Tull. I think I remember seeing something about Jethro Tull because of the flutes. I don't know. But. Uh, we were totally enthralled by this. And, of course, we were, we were on psychedelics. Can I say that? You yes. can't. You just okay, did. Okay, we were doing acid. <laughs> it happened. We were doing acid, right? So this is the perfect song for us. So this... This guy goes, bombed out lovers, scanner, red fox, so mellow, seducers, find eager seek. And I, I can just think of like a drunk Bowie, like, you know. <laughs> love it. And fishing out or something on Nitrous. Like the voice was just like, I just automatically went to Bowie and I'm like, this guy is weird. What does he look like? Like, he just painted a picture. So, uh-huh. it was Mercury Rev chasing a bee. And, uh, later on, As Mr. Baker exits Mercury Rev, he finds his way to Chicago from New York. He doesn't even know that he has such a a clan here Uh because we were like, we were hooked. Right. We were hooked. And I was, this is probably like about 1995. I did a short stint in New Mexico. I was living out there, just getting a break from Chicago and doing my thing. And I got a call back. From Aaron, again, my friend. Then he's like, man, it's cooking up here, man. You need to get back. There's a lot of music going on. And, you know, we're going to work with... We're gonna work, remember Mercury Rev? We're going to work with David Baker. So his his band at the time, which is Marblekind, um, the bass player, which is another good friend of mine, Brent Rickles, found out that David Baker had lived in Chicago and basically... Basically... So, come here. Come here. found him. Here. You're getting scooped up. Come here. So he became like our big brother and uncle, you know? So um eventually baker and another good friend of mine ended up uh just kind of getting involved with some recording equipment and baker was my roommate for a while we got this equipment from from peter brown um the guy that wrote do you want to get funky with me the disco song and also material girl we bought all of his gear like Lindrums, drums dx100s or well, DX7s, I think we got DX one hundred as well, but all that eighties gear that he wrote and demoed on got that with through David. So and even though even though David Baker uh never really physically produced me, he he helped out my friends on their first two records that they did. I live with him. So I had I had a totally different experience with him. Like he turned me on the Donovan, he turned me on to like um I was already into Swerve Driver, but he really gave me the the latter stuff of Swerve Driver. He just he was cool, man. You know he had he just has a huge record collection. He actually also just opened up a record store in Chicago, I believe. Um, I'm not sure of the actual name of it, but I'll find out for you guys. Yeah, yeah. But he, you know, we had conversations, and he would he helped. He doesn't even know this, so he's gonna know it now. He he definitely opened my eyes to different songwriters. And how to deal with juxtaposition, um, and one of the favorite people that he turned me on was Scott Walker from the Walker Brothers. Hmm. So um, that's why I'm that's why I'm kind of bringing up Chasing Bee. because he needs to know how much he's loved and remembered as well. Is it possible that his store is called Variety Lights? That's the that's the name of his second project after after Mercury Rev. He was he had a project called Shady after that. Okay. On um, that was on Beggars Banquet, and then Variety Lights was another project. After that, I believe it's called Road Trip Records. I believe. Okay. I believe so. Um, so. Oh, uh, ra-
3: uh, round, trip. round trip. Round trip. Round trip records. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes.
0: Yes. So you're in
4: Chicago. Check it out.
3: Him yeah. and Paul Nixon.
0: Yeah. yeah. Says. Okay. Cool. All right. So um, that's that's kind of the story behind that. And this song was the first song that you discovered by... By Mercury Rev. By Mercury Rev. Yes, yes. And then this all led to, um, you know, I was listening to the Flaming Lips a little bit, but Jonathan, who was in the band with, with David Baker, the Mercury Rev, was an original member of the Flaming Lips. So these guys are cousins, kissing cousins, you know? Like, we're all kind of... doesn't matter about this, man. It, it matters about... Where you come from, the music and and the and the memories, I yeah, believe. And the stories you can share. Absolutely.
1: All right, this is uh, Chasing a Bee by Mercury Rev from yourself is Steam released in nineteen ninety one. I can imagine that being a real mindful when you're tripping. Very much <laughs> <Yeah>. so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's kind that, of that
4: moment of when will this end and I don't ever want this to end, you know? Totally.
0: <laughs> yes, I would have to
1: agree. What was it like listening to it here, thinking back?
0: Um, I just love the last line so much because it just, it just makes so much sense. Just keep spinning in circles until you break new ground. And here you are still spinning. (laughs) Here we all are. This is what we're
2: doing
1: right now. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Hmm. Um, So what was the most um, peak concert experience that you got to experience there in Chicago? Ooh, that's tough.
0: I I would have to, you know what? I'd have to say... It'd be on a local level, so like just mayhem amongst our, the the group. Okay. There is, uh, there is. Um, I worked at a place called Room, but right across the street from there was a place called Thurston's, and every now and then, like Murphy's Law would come there and play. But it was our little spot for to for us to have complete mayhem. I mean. Saw Urge Overkill there a lot. Um, local H be playing up there. Liz Fair be hanging out, shooting pool. Hmm. That was, I would say, I would just say seeing any of my, any of those guys at that time was just a big party. And you know, it was just there.
1: Did you go back to Brooklyn much?
0: Um, after? Um, no. No? Mm-mm. Just on occasion, you know, for, you know, weddings or or, you know. Just anything that was an occasion. I didn't really hang back in Brooklyn until probably, I'd say, probably the mid-2000s. I'd probably just go to hang out and check stuff out. But Brooklyn and New York wasn't really—I only played there once, live as an adult. Um, so I don't really have a whole huge recollection of anything going on there. It's all Chicago for me.
1: What's the favorite stage
0: of yours that you've ever played on? Favorite stage? Um... I'll definitely say Metro. Yeah, yeah. Um, Metro. If you there is like this, this little corner, right when you hit the stage, and everything just bounces around in there, like it, it just it'll give you vertigo. If you if you got butterflies in your stomach, but it'll give you butterflies in your stomach anyway. But it's like. When you're ready to go on and you're sitting in that little area and you're hearing all that, your, your adrenaline is just, mm, mm. So you just have to trust until until the sound guy would adjust what's going on in your monitors as opposed to what's here in the house. It's kind of like, oh, s. <laughs> trust, 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 trust. And then you get like this rush of like adrenaline, like, because of the room. And I would say that that was that was definitely my favorite. What's the biggest crowd you've ever played for? Ooh. Hmm. I'd say probably just a few hundred. Yeah. Yeah. No arenas. I haven't done the Arena Rock yet. (laughs) There's
4: nothing to scoff at though. Oh, no. Exactly. No. Arena
0: Rock. Um, A couple hundred.
1: uh, So um, how did you wind up in Miami? What was the
0: arc there? Oh, okay. Well, Miami, everyone kind of decided, like, post 9-11... Um people were just getting out of Chicago, either going to New York or going to LA. I met a girl who was a makeup artist and um took a trip down and it was it was actually it was actually during the winter music conference. Um and at that time, you know, even though there was rock, there was there was hands and hip hop and electronic and stuff too, so I loved that stuff too. House music and everything. So I just I kinda of fell in love with the city because of the fact that it's it's international, it's modern, it's Caribbean. Um my family's somewhat Caribbean and South American. I shouldn't say somewhat we are Caribbean and South American <laughs> by my mom's side. Um, so it just as a city it just made sense and I was obsessed with Miami Vice as a kid. <laughs> <Another> <laughs> and obsession. then you were there. Michael my, Michael Mann, like I I love the soundtrack, so it was like, alright, yeah, and then I was there exactly so
4: get yourself some aviators. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So it just it just And I did dress up as Tubbs For Halloween once yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As an adult Did you have a, a, a oh, did, did, did you have a
1: too. What was the other guy's name uh, Crockett. Crockett Crockett Did you have a Crockett with you Or were you just nah, Solo
0: Tubbs I was solo Tubbs <laughs> Walking awesome. anybody Road. get it
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's so
0: funny. Yeah, Uh, I did it. I did it. So, no. um, um, So at the time,
4: solo Yeah. It's a good band name, right?
0: At the time, like it was. It just made sense because, you know, I just needed something new. My the girlfriend at the time was a makeup artist. I was was like, just screw it, let's go. So then, I just hit the ground running. I ended up working at a guitar center. You know, learning all the, the sound people. Some of my friends that were working there were showing me the scene there. So. Churchills was was a home. Um, I worked with um, Juan Montoya, who, what I think he I think he was at, in Torch at the time. He's no longer in Torch, so it's like I got like a really cool um, crash course of what was going on in Miami in terms of what rock was. I mean, because Miami at the time got. Labeled as just one thing, you know, mojitos and, mm-hmm. you know, Scarface, you know, which, yeah, that's all. That's part of it, too. But there's a lot more there. I mean, people people would hear Miami and think South Beach. Yeah. Like, I
4: had no idea that Torch was from Miami this whole time. Yeah. yeah.
3: Because you wouldn't expect it based on if you said if you were in the 90s and you said Miami. That Oh, no, no, know.
4: no. The. Sorry, we're going to go off at a yeah. very small tangent. Death metal in Tampa, yeah. Miami, like Florida, had an, a huge death metal scene. I mean, for the birthplace of quite a few death metal bands, as you probably know.
0: So sure. I well, just like, didn't know
4: Torch of all bands. Anyway, yeah. sorry, side yeah. tangent. <laughs>
0: Miami, Miami and I think they moved to Atlanta after that. Okay. Don't quote me that on sense. it. Yeah. Um, so I just... I loved it. I mean, I had a I had a '78 Camaro that I. <laughs> of course, I, I had the Rockford Files one, so I ended up getting a case of uh, flat black and took it in a car wash and took my time, sprayed it over the course of three days. So that was my car. Wow! The, the shark. Had, they called it the shark. the shark. Had you ever been to Florida even before that? Yeah, yeah. Because my dad, my dad was a trucker, so I would in the summers I'd hit the road with him on '95. Oh, okay. What kind of music he played in the truck? Oh man, anything from ZZ Hill to um Albert King, Isaac Hayes. Um he was in the like all the good soul stuff, you know, James Brown. Um found out that found out that the, one of our elder cousins played baritone sax with the JBs. My dad never told me. Um if I'm rambling tell me. But yeah. but Pops was Pop's was a blue collar guy but Pop's actually from what I understand um was a musician he just never fell through with it but he just had amazing amazing musical taste. I mean I I learned from my about Isaac Hayes from him Barry White um the Motown stuff um Albert King again um he's a big fan of Bobby Bland so got all that got all that stuff from my pop, you know. Considering their your island and
3: soul heritage there with your parents. I mean, how did they take your kind of proclivity for metal? They and... weren't digging it.
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they weren't digging it too much because it was early. You said that it hooked you. Yeah. Did you? I mean, could you guys listen to it together at all? Or um, I'll tell you what. In contrast, this is this is going to be an interesting correlation if you don't mind. Like, gotta remember at that time late 70s early 80s was like the emergence of rap and hip-hop mm-hmm. too um and it was very it when it started out it, it was very whimsical you know i mean everyone had their lives the street life or whatever but it was it was a thing and then it the 2020 talked about it one one day on 2020 yep. and all of a sudden breakdancing just blew up um, so I, I, I want to say this, and I hope this makes sense. I think my, my mother especially, um, I think she was a little more relieved um, that I liked the rock stuff because it kept me off, in her mind, it kept me off the streets mm-hmm. of what was happening outside the door in the building we grew up in Brooklyn. Which are like For instance, when I brought home the Run, Run DMC, my Adidas record with Peter Piper, which I loved confiscated Hm.
3: yeah
0: everything else is like no you can go hang out with your dad in jersey hang out with his neighbors friends and listen to that stuff when you go there so huh. it was like this like kind of like how do you say lesser two evils for my mom sure um so then when I moved to Illinois and I was listening to Guns and Roses and stuff like that it, it kind of got extended but not it's not it's not so much a musical taste or a choice it's just being a musician i love loud guitars and distortion yeah but it does not mean i don't i can't sit back and listen to guru jazzmatazz or you know a planet second album you know like i love everything you know but i just my weapon of choice it happens to be six strings um your
1: your current musical project uh, singular fashion yes how long that's how long how long has that been around
0: um Conceptually, since two thousand three, okay, um, and it started. It started in Chicago as a weird, like Beck kind of project where I just it was an ex- it was kind of a break from Anatomic, and I just needed to kind of give myself away from my writing partner. Um, not in a bad way or anything. I just needed to s- just develop some new ideas. Um, so I was kind of doing that under, you know on the side as we were still doing stuff at the anatomic and then i ended up doing a show pardon me at alba room where i just had a guitar my pedal board my amp and drum machines tape machines whatever i could use to play the track i needed to play it with you know mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't even so much as i was you know calling it singular fashion as michael pinkley's solo project which kind of like it caused a rift at at one point because it's the name Singular Fashion is more of a, it's a concept. So I never, I never considered it a band. It's, it's a concept where, yes, perhaps I am doing a lot of the writing, but there's a lot of people that I would work with, you know, it's maybe on instrumentation or maybe I'd work with this engineer on this song or I kept it interesting, you know, as far as like, okay, not these four guys with a producer and let's make a record, you know? Right. And, and, I've I've trusted over the years. I've trusted the organics of it, um, and kept it completely independent. Um, never looked for any major deals or any independent deals. I've had one one licensing sync deal when that stuff was starting to begin out of New York, which which helped a lot. Um, I got to record with some really cool people. I had um, at the latter part of of that whole tenure. Katrina from Katrina and the Waves got on their catalog, so then they were doing the whole 80s review thing that I pulled back, you know, just because it was time, and kind of took everything into my own hands, which is where Plexi Media has come in, where Plexi, Plexi Media is basically just my portal for all the creativity, you know, And it's open to journalism, also curation, and also featuring other artists as well.
1: And you do visual art. You do uh, experimental video stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, What was your first... When did you get started with video?
0: Um, Just really toying around with old, you know, um, the old Hi8 cameras in Chicago, Mm -hmm. messing around with, like, video feedback and just shooting stuff and just, like, tricking it out for just backdrops for shows, you know? Right. So hmm and what about visual art visual art that was a weird scenario like I I always I always first of all I always thought I had horrible handwriting I always thought I could never draw and I just found myself um, you know doing graphic design which is where where I kind of got that idea of putting things together I wouldn't necessarily say I'm schooled in fine art or anything, but I love texture, I love colors, and I love imagery. I love the whole pop art thing, the Dada movement, um, Marcel Duchamp. You know, taking items and 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 reconfiguring them into something. I mean, I use I use wood a lot and metal instead of traditional canvases.
1: Hmm. Um, what was the last show you got to see before social distancing came around? <laughs> Mark Anthony.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like yeah. that he laughed for you some reason. Know, he he, 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 he had a grin no, on his no. face. The only, <laughs> the only reason why Is because I was working at Hertz Arena. Sure. That I think that was the I think that was the 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 last big concert that happened there for us until things started to die. So yeah.
4: I think that, that song I need to know. Does you know? that
0: count? Yeah.
1: Did he did he did he do I need to know? Uh yeah. <laughs> Yes he did. Of course, <laughs> he did. <laughs> of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> I saw um uh I, my my daughter and I saw Willie Nelson there okay. uh, like in February. Okay. So like right at
0: right, the edge. Right, right, the edge there, right, there, yeah. right around that time, right? Yep. Okay. So yeah, that was it. That was the last big concert I saw. Has uh the pandemic and the way
1: we have to kind of stay in our own little bubbles uh put you into any new places creatively?
0: Because if you know you we we have
1: to try to work around it.
0: Yeah. Um I just went balls out and said, screw it, this is what I have. Um I was originally gonna put out an EP um at one point and I was like, why? <laughs> I have all this time. Let's take some old things, some new things, and put a body of work together. Um, and basically, close a chapter, I think, as far as songs and as far as a collection of songs um, from my first record, which is Grey Area. Um, before this completion of this album, which is called Vagabond Blasphemy, I, I put out a single um, called O oh to Moondog. Which is a tribute to Alan Freed about the night where they had the huge riot in Cleveland when he had declared the term rock and roll in nineteen fifty and just correlating it with um the fact that there's been there's been shootings at concerts. It's like you can't even go to a concert anymore and worry about if you're getting a bullet an a r fifteen bullet in you, you know. But the innocence of, the innocence of that time in 1950, where it was actually an integrated audience, and it sold out because he had problems with the whole payola thing. Like he had to, he had to literally apologize for this mayhem that he created, this unity. Mm. So I wrote that song about that,
2: hmm.
0: um, which, which ends which ended up on the album itself as well on vagabond blasphemy it's up digitally on all digital formats and we're working on in the next maybe few months to get it pressed on vinyl as well so we're kind of talking about that right now
1: all right it's time for your third song i I think we're going back to the beginning with your third song yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah (laughs) yeah, we are we are um i guess i guess i could talk about this one beforehand as well okay because we kind of we kind of touched on it but yeah i mean It just def. I don't know, was that moment. Um, yes, Hendrix was always in the airs, you know, with my brother, um, you know, playing all the Hendrix stuff, the early stuff, the later stuff. But there was just something about Ozzy's vocals, but especially the virtuosity of Randy Rhodes. Um, Again, could never touch him come close. Not many people can, but the beauty and the fluidity of what he did as a a guitar player and his, you know, he's really a classical guitar player, Um, that was what I said to myself, my own way, I want to find that perimeter to be that. Not exactly him, obviously, but that... That age, five years old, I was like, "That's it, that's it." So, Claudette, which I who I thanked a couple of weeks ago about this, she hopefully will get to hear this. Um, she could vouch for me that I was once once she gave me that one box. Then it came Diary of a Madman, then it came the picture disc stuff, which someone stole that picture disc from me with Mr. Crowley on it. And I still want it. Whoever <laughs> has it. Someone stole it from me. It's a picture disc. Um I was just obsessed. And then 82 happened. And then Randy died, right? Mm-hmm. So I was still as a little kid, like stuck on stupid on 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 Randy. Like, um, you know, buying all my guitar magazines and, you know, trying to figure out Tabature and stuff like that. So then I moved to moved to Illinois and there's this kid, Chris Stein, who's, Shredder. Super, super ass-kicking Shredder. Like, take you to school. Then he gave me tribute. Like, so it, it kept going. Like, up until maybe say 88, 89 and then like it broke free from that like I started <laughs> like listening to other stuff a little bit more than just sticking to that but I don't know I, I, I just there is just for me that's where that's where it's coming from as a guitar player like that's what did it for me and yeah that's it it's not how you play the game it's if you win or lose you can choose
1: hmm. uh, <laughs> let's do this uh, I don't know Ozzy Osbourne, from his 1980 album, Blizzard of Oz.
2: I don't know!
1: How much time did you spend trying to play that, or learning it? Um,
0: not the solo, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the main riff, for sure, yeah. Uh, actually, my friend Chris Stein tried to break it down for me. Randy Rhodes is such a jerk with those fills. By the way, as
3: also an electric guitarist, huh? I, I I remember trying to do the exact same thing with Crazy Train. Yeah, like the first time I heard it, I was about that age. Yeah, and I I fell down a hole trying to learn every single one of those little fills. Those little
0: fills he does in between. And he's
3: such a jerk.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. As a one guitar player, man, he was he was serious. I mean, when you when you're when you're when you are you do not have to worry about a microphone. Hmm. In front of you, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna get in trouble saying that because certain people can pull it off. But when you don't have, <laughs> when you don't, when you don't have that as a handicap per se, yeah. and you can do that, that's Randy right there. do not need two guitar players. He's a beast.
1: <laughs> um, you know, I hadn't even thought of this until we were listening. But one of my early music memories was a good friend of mine named Eric, mm-hmm. who I'm still friends with today. He's actually sure. my mechanic. Okay, um, he was huge into Ozzy. And would play it at his house all the time and um he was coming to town to play at the Lee Civic Center okay. and that was right around the whole bat thing he, oh ooh. and I think the county commission like passed an ordinance banning him yeah like he wasn't allowed to play here it oh. was it was it was a controversy
0: <laughs> oh that made that made news that made news to the projects because Claudette from what I remember Claudette was in that in that press conference oh wow the jet records. When that happened. Really? There was, it got word. I heard about it like, immediately when she came home. So.
1: Huh. Yeah. That's great. Um, okay, if you uh, were a championship wrestler, what song would you come in on? Ooh. Something by
0: Ozzy? <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> uh Is that a real question? That's yeah. a real yeah, question. That's a real
4: question. Sorry, I got offended. I'm like, yeah, that's a real <laughs> I, I just asked you a fake question. I just. No, I'm just trying to think. Wait, wait.
0: Wait, 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 wait. If I was a wrestler, yes. yeah. Um, man. All right, I'm. I'm thinking about this because it, it'd be interesting. um Fired up by Rick James.
2: Ooh, okay. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot.
1: About TV theme songs that you remember the words to that we can all sing together. Oh no! <laughs> I, know, I know
3: exactly your generation. Oh, so Richard? I know exactly. I know. Like exactly. you definitely have some stashed away. I'm thinking.
0: I'm trying to think, man. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. No, not Alf. I don't Alf didn't even really have a Alf. theme song. I think it was instrumental. I remember yes. Alf Fondly, but I don't know about theme <laughs> yeah, song. I think that's just music. Um, let's see. What's the theme song of Bosom Buddies? Remember, that, wow. Remember that show? that I mean, show? Yeah, I, man. Oh, wow. I haven't thought of How that in a while. bosom? Uh, B-O-S-O-N. Is that with Tom Hanks and um, some yeah. other dude? Yeah,
4: uh
3: huh. Let's see. It did have a theme song. We're about to find out. <laughs> um, Peter Scolari.
4: Don't worry, we're pulling it up. Okay. That's what this awkward pause is for. <laughs> <laughs> I made him spit that was the best time to, to drink water.
1: water. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> YouTube is misbehaving. Uh-uh. YouTube is just spinning. No, that. When we
3: first moved to New York, we had a great apartment that was oh. dirt cheap, and we found <laughs> <laughs> it was so cheap.
2: Oh Our my! Our friend Amy said there was a apartment. Dirt cheap. It's a hotel Well, we got narration. one adjustment. Now these
1: other ladies—Noah says, Buffy and Hildegard.
2: Oh
4: my! But they also know
3: us as Kip and Henry. Buffy and It's Hillary like
1: Hannah Montana before it's time. Yeah. <laughs> I
3: think about if, if Hannah Montana tried to, tried to be a boy completely. sometimes.
2: See,
4: it's all perfectly normal. Oh, it's... Da, 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 they're, they're running through the park. Light. I love this song. I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all right. right. Didn't tell me it's time to, to go, go home.
2: Do, 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 I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Uh, 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 uh. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone.
0: Harmonies, guys.
2: And never offer me a second no. chance.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: wait. I'm just transfixed by what I'm watching here.
4: I never said I was a victim of circumstance.
2: <laughs> I still
4: belong still be wrong. <laughs> Don't care to be Oh, you reach for that
2: one. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. You <need to> <laughs> your
1: mind, But, but not, not on my time, time. <laughs> I don't have what to say This is a really long theme song Hi, With the
4: narration everything And in the intro, half of The right? episode is just this. <laughs> <laughs> now they're playing baseball, then they're uh, ladies again. I know, I feel like <laughs>
0: back and watch that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I should have chose Three's Company instead. Come and knock on my door. Come and knock,
4: knock on my door. door.
0: We've been waiting for you. We've been
4: waiting for you.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> We've had some practice. Okay.
1: Um, okay. <clears> it is, uh, we're heading in for a landing, so we're going to do a little speed round. Okay. Okay. Um, if you were a cocktail or a drink, what would you be? Johnny Walker Black. Uh, what kind of presentation? We're making a cocktail cookbook. Presentation. Just yeah,
3: you know, make it yours. Somehow. If someone named a cocktail after you, what would they mix up in the cup?
0: Ooh. Hmm. What would they make like the actual cocktail?
4: Like it could still be the Johnny Walker. It could yeah. just. It would but just. Got to be... be named
0: after you, so it's got to be something that's uniquely you. Maybe it's got you.
4: like some lime or something. I don't know. Maybe it's just neat.
0: Hmm. Johnny Walker Black on the Rocks. Sounds good. What would you name it? johnny walker Black on the <laughs> no <Rocks>. no he's <laughs> pre
1: pre-game swag pre-game swag. <laughs> pre-game swag uh is there a best album of all time in your opinion
0: best album of all time
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay um hmm i'm gonna go with honestly i'm gonna go with acts as bold as love
1: okay um, is there any kind of music you'll avoid listening to or songs in particular
0: um, no i'll give I give most things a shot even if it even if it makes me uneasy I'll give it a shot uh do you do karaoke i do yeah what's yeah. your go to <laughs> um I just did Dope Show by Marilyn Manson the other day. Oh. There you
4: go. I've not heard someone the do other karaoke day? of that. I don't think I've
0: heard someone. So that. you've karaoke recently. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <Okay>. I have. <laughs> uh, are you a dancer? Um, I just she danced my ass off to some house music at Indigrum the other night. There Friday you go. Night. Uh,
1: How do you listen to music these days?
0: Through my PA system. Okay. Loud. I don't like little speakers. Uh, do you have uh, vinyl still? Yes.
1: Um, how many guitars do you have?
0: Right now, I am working with uh, probably just four, including my bass. How many instruments do you play? Um,
1: comfortably six. What
0: what would those be besides guitar, guitar, or drums, bass, vocals, keyboards? No horns. No horns. Maybe a recorder every now and then.
1: <laughs> if you could learn any instrument instantly without having to try, what would you add?
0: Ooh. I would like to play, like, vibraphones and xylophones. Nice. Hmm.
1: Um If you could share a stage with anybody, alive or dead, who would it be?
4: Ooh.
1: Ouch. <laughs> I always
3: think of those, you know, when they, like when they yank up somebody out of the audience yeah. to, like, play. That
4: would be you.
0: Man, that's a tough one. Good. <laughs> um, I would say, I'd, I'm i going to go ahead and say, cause I need to get him in here somehow, Prince Rogers Nelson. Because mm. I, would, I would just have to be a complete student and get it in that pocket. That's who I want to share a stage with. And the, the people that he chooses as his musicians, it, w- it would be an incredible... Credible learning experience.
1: Um, if you could broadcast a song into the ears of everyone on the planet simultaneously,
0: what would it be? That would be Tomorrow Never Knows by John Lennon. Good answer.
1: Uh, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are here today in the world,
0: being Michael Pinkney? Um... From from fourteen or everything that happened in between now and fourteen. No,
1: no. Just if you, if 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 your fourteen year old self could see you today, what would he think?
0: Like, um, and know
1: you know the, the life you've lived, the choices you've made, et cetera.
0: Um, let's say, I, speaking to my fourteen year old self, my fourteen year old self speaking to me, mm-hmm. it's like, damn kid, um, you actually have a pretty, you, you like a walking camera. <laughs> <laughs> like the some of the things to explain that, I guess there's things that I've witnessed that most people would say you're a f-ing name dropper, right? But I'm not,
1: right? You just happen to be there.
0: That, that was the like, life you lived. It's just like this weird Forrest Gump stumble upon like tumbleweed mm-hmm. stuff, like has happened, and it's wealth to me.
1: Yeah,
0: it's wealth, and, and I can
1: relate to that.
0: You know? Yeah. So that's that's it. I mean, honestly. It already happened. I mean, I was waiting tables one night. It's just on the side note, but it's definitely there was that moment where I realized that I was meant to be where I was supposed to be. And it has to do with um, Fight the Power video. I just almost got a cramp. Um, well, I got to watch Do the Right Thing. hmm on a TV in Neighborville of the neighborhood I grew up in, 1989. At that time, I was just, like, missing my mom or being foreign. Just the area where I was was still foreign to me. And um, I remember seeing that frame of Samuel Jackson when he DJs on Gates Avenue. I went to the school, a school block over on Quincy Avenue. But I got I used to be able to see them filming that movie on my way to school that last year, right? So basically that's that fort that thirteen, fourteen year we're talking about. Like, then I was like, dude, this is gonna matter someday. I don't know how, but this is gonna matter someday. And one night I was working in the design district in Miami at a at a restaurant, and on my way to my car or me going home someone told me that Chuck D was doing a kind of a performance and kind of a talk at this club. And I actually actually got to have a conversation with Chuck D. I was drunk and loud. He turned his back on me. But I actually got to say (laughs) to him, thank you. Yeah. Um, Because that video, Fight the Power, was shot right out in front of the building I grew up in. Hmm. um, On Chauncey Street malcolm x boulevard formerly reed avenue so i got to have that conversation um and got emotional because like i literally said to him i said look man sometimes i feel guilty because i got out some kids didn't but i got to see that you know yeah
1: We're now going to pose a very difficult question to you that Richard's going to do.
3: Yeah, so, (laughs) Michael, um, if you can, uh, using the three songs that you've brought us today as your answers, Mm -hmm. uh, select one of them for each of the following scenarios. Okay. Okay. One of those songs is a song that you can guarantee that forever in the future, people will know it, listen to it, love it. It'll always be popular. One of the songs is the only song you get to listen to for the rest of your life. When you listen to music, you have to listen to that. And the third song is a song that you choose to erase from having ever been existed. All of the ramifications of its
0: existence are gone. Of those three? Of your three songs. Wow. That's so. interesting. Can we bring that back one more time so I can...
3: Yes. So uh, one of the songs you are guaranteeing for future generations to enjoy. It'll mm-hmm. never, like, kind of fade away. Okay. One of them is the only song you get to listen to ever, okay. for the rest of your life. Okay, and one of them is gone and has and was never written.
0: Oh wow! I you know what? I'm gonna say chasing B, chasing a B because for which for the one that that should go on. Okay, because that that statement he says, "keep spinning in circles till you break new ground" is like, especially right now. It's, it's totally pivotal, um, and I think for what it, what it means what it means to me is like, and I might be I might be incorrect, but from what my dad told me about, you know, Native American culture, spinning the dance, the spinning dance, spinning. You're gonna hit, you're gonna break through from spinning like a top, like a spinning top. Eventually, it's gonna it's going to penetrate yeah. so it's
3: very um very buddhist right like you go through cycles yes event and eventually you break through yeah but you have to go through the cycles until then wholeheartedly
0: wholeheartedly so there's that one um i would say so th- so we got that one the one that i would keep
1: would be i am one and it, and it is now the only song you ever get to listen to
0: again it's i am uh, one okay
1: and so then uh then we're we're removing from existence the smashing pumpkins song not it, that, it, not the it, whole band it, it, just it, it, the song. song no the no the removing
0: song. the i don't know we're gonna remove i don't know
3: right right right, right yeah
0: i don't know but i am one is like he goes. I don't know the actual, f- I've never understood the full lyrics up until just recently, but he goes, I am one is you are three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I had isolationism, I would gain, st- I feel like I would use that as an anthem. Hmm. Uh, okay.
1: Um, three people you're going to recommend for the podcast that you will also share this podcast with.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Um, Eric Ribenscheider. Bad news. He's already done it. Yeah. He has. Yeah.
1: Oh man. He he's the only guest too that admitted to drinking a couple beers before he came. Oh, he did? <laughs> he did.
0: Oh man. All right. Well, this is even funnier because we're supposed to sit down and do a talk at some point. So this is gonna be kind of like the kind of a predecessor. Hey man, I did this. Let's do this. You guys now. have
1: a thing now that you've done. That's great.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. So I still, I still, I still count him in. He, sh- he should do a part two, man. <laughs> he should do a part <laughs> that's two. That's one He's... of our rules, though. So yeah, nobody gets to do get a uh, song. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. So, okay, so the second, okay, the second person is a good, dear friend of mine in Miami, by the name of Bobby McIntyre. Uh, that's another drummer. Yeah, yeah. And I've actually, I've actually played with him. Um, we met in Chicago, of all places, in '95. During that time, um, he came up, he came in with. Um, with an Argentine band from Miami called Spanish Fly. They were like in that beginning of the Rock and Espanol thing, starting to hit the state. So they were in Chicago, um, and then we were trying out for another band, and then he ended up leaving, going to going to LA. And then when I when I got to Miami, I, I hung out with him and didn't even know it was him. And then I went to Cali, came back, and then we finally figured out that it goes back to Chicago. So huh. we've we've been buds ever since. Um Great drummer, great producer. Um, Studio seventy one, all day, Miami. That's his thing. Um, Analog. So, great stories. Um, Cool. um, Great dude. So I recommend him. And then also um, another cat who I actually met at Miller's Ale House of all places. Okay. And he's from New York, but New Chicago. Uh, Mr. Kevin McGinnis. Kevin McGinnis is is a songwriter. he has a project called Twiggy Branches. Um, he was also in a band called um, the, the the New Rising Suns, which at the time, of, I guess, in the period when the Strokes were happening, they had some, some some stuff going on. They just did a documentary. He's on my record as well. Um, we're good. We're collaborators, good friends, and I think he he would be great to 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 be on behind the mic here.
1: Okay, cool. And then uh, you got a bonus one because Eric is off. the um, And it doesn't have to be local or even Florida. It can be or, anywhere. Or even music people. Well, like it doesn't it, have to yeah. be music people either. It doesn't have to be music people. No. Yeah. Most people who do this are not music yeah. sure. people.
0: Sure. <clears throat> okay. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think. Who could? You know, I want to know, and I don't want to go outside of the scope, but I want to I wanna find out what's up around here. Need to get Terry Tintra's butt in here.
1: You you helped make that happen. We've we've, we've crossed. We've we've interacted with him three or four times about this, and then he kind of stopped answering. I don't know why. I
0: don't know if he just doesn't want to do it or what. I would go nuts him again. But yeah, Terry would be great. He'd be awesome. Perfect. He'd be awesome. Push
3: on him.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I even right before the pandemic, I even proposed going and doing it at Seed and Bean. Okay, We've, we've done some road shows. Sure. So. Tell them that. Tell okay. Them we'll come out and do it. All right. Um, okay, that's it. Do you have any final thoughts to leave us with? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're out. <laughs> we make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and sometimes hosts. Christophis is our executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, it's Michael live in our studio performing his song, Alimony Boy.
2: Shipping, and I'll see sacrifice a spot lie but never sacrifice a place this race should be sacrifice a spot lie but never sacrifice a place this race
3: time on three song stories
1: so edison when it was still ecc when it was still edison community we used to call it high school with ashtrays you
2: bet (laughs) (laughs) yep exactly